Welcome back to Following Noanon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 5. We will be talking about chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 of The Way of Kings. Elliot, what are your two words for these chapters? So the two words I thought maybe summarized what I took out of these chapters were respect and servant leadership i'm smashing that into one word and it, it is i'm making it so respect and serving leadership okay servant leadership all right uh paul uh so mine was on a different avenue i had defiant and scheming defiant scheming servant leadership and what was your last one your respect respect let's uh, let's discuss these All right, uh, let's talk about chapter fourteen and seventeen kind of together because they're both they're both Kaladin chapters. Um, Elliot, you want to explain your two words before we jump into that? Sure. So I felt a big part of especially the Kaladin chapters here were about Kaladin figuring out how to earn the respect of his bridgemen. He's he's decided that he's gonna put some effort into this. He's not going to give up. He's going to try and save these men and, and do the best that he can. But he quickly realizes that he can't do much for them if he doesn't have their respect. And so that's something he has to figure out how to how to earn. And then servant leadership, servant leadership, it, one word. I'm going to laugh every time I, you I say it. <laughs> <laughs> I that was a, a huge moment for me, which we're going to talk about in a second, when we learned what the way of kings is, and we got a good section of that that really spoke about what servant leadership is or what a, a leader who steps down to, to do something to serve his people, which was a big moment, which tied in really well to the Kaladin chapters because, spoiler alert for later in the episode, that's kind of what Kaladin learns is that he has to serve the people that he's leading. So kind of pulled it together for me. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Paul, you want to expand upon your two words a little bit? Sure can. So, so typically I'm the one with the like nice words and Elliot's are all about like, this is true. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's really, really swapped around here. But so the first one I had was defiant and kind of looking at the Kaladin chapters uh, he's taking a very different approach to uh, to things that uh, to to being a bridgeman that other leaders in the bridge crews uh, have not before. Uh, it's defiant, not in a uh, anarchical way, however you say that way, but in more of like a super different approach. He's actually trying to make something of this situation rather than just, oh, I'm at the lowest of lows. Yeah, uh, this sucks. He's trying to do something, I guess. Um, and scheming is kind of more uh, with the, the Dalinar and Sadius chapters because they both seem to not quite trust each other. There's a lot of mistrust going on there and a lot of uncertainty. So uh, that, that was mostly why I came up with scheming. Okay. 
let's let's discuss the Kaladin chapters first with chapter 14 chapter 16 is a is a flashback chapter we can we can refer into this one too and then chapter 17 um elliot you have uh you have some notes about sill you want to talk to me about sill for a little bit yeah so we're we're learning a little bit more just just a little bit more about sill we're getting pieces and pieces a little bit as she's growing but what I what I picked up on here in chapter fourteen is she, she's really starting to develop and starting to wrestle with more mature concepts, and so I'm I'm now comparing in my mind still to a small child almost that's that's coming across things that aren't quite as merry and happy as as they are when she was younger. I'll say now she's starting to figure out things like sarcasm and death and lying, and she's trying to kind of talk to Kaladin and understand these things. Why do men lie? Why why do they die? These kinds of, of challenges. And there was a funny little little bit in there too where she learns what sarcasm is and then Kaladin has this little moment where he's like, oh, that's ominous. She's going to be using that in the future. Great. Yeah. So I, I chuckled at that one. But she's definitely developing and almost in this rapid cramming as much or, or getting exposed to a whole lot at, at all at once kind of kind of thing. Yeah, she's. It's funny when you said when she was younger, like last night in the right, book. Like in the book, yeah, two two days two days previous when she was so much younger. But yeah, she really is beginning to have coherent thoughts. Whereas in the beginning, she was very, very windspread of just yeah, yeah, exactly floating around, not caring. This development with Syl is one of my favorite things so far because it's always so innocent and so like so naive that it's like hilarious like you said like a like a very small child they're like what does this mean and it's it's really funny to me just like a basic concept you know like learning unfortunately what death is and such like that but i always enjoy this the conversations with sill she has a funny moment in in chapter 17 too i'll, I'll jump ahead to chapter 17 a little bit Kaladin is is going to the apothecary to try and to get some supplies that that he needs and the apothecary is trying to sell him different things and he he tries to sell him a love potion and as as he's describing the love potion Sil's like oh that would be handy you should give that to Gaz yeah and Kaladin's like no that's not what you think it is that's, that was that yeah. was pretty funny not too. not what that means still don't exactly. worry about it you should give it to Gaz yeah that's right like thought but no no no. <laughs> in this scene i want to highlight um the audiobook because michael kramer does a fantastic job with the apothecary and the apothecary walks in and he's supposed to be all feeble and not uh he's supposed to, he's supposed to appear like an old man to kind of yeah scam people that come in and not know what they're talking about and then one kaladin confesses that he's the uh, son of a surgeon he kind of straightens up and you know talks all business with him. Michael Kramer does such a good job with this. He's like, "Oh no, you want you want a love potion?" And then when Kaladin's like, "No, I need this and this and this," and then Michael Kramer's like, "Oh, bandages," you said. He like completely changes characters, and it's it's so believable. He, he's actually so good. That's cool. Those are definitely elements that I miss out just reading the book. I have to read into some of those scenes myself, but. I'll have to check out the audiobook at some point because I am. Those do sound like fun scenes. 
there there is stuff that you miss um that's in the audiobook like maybe proper pronunciations which we'll yeah. <laughs> maybe get into later but uh-oh uh-oh <laughs> but there's some big ones there's also <laughs> there's also some things that you get in the the book like the art that we'll we'll also get into later uh that Paul doesn't get to experience and I didn't get to experience my first time so unfortunate um but I guess the the big picture I I do actually want to talk about the apothecary more in a little bit because I have I have some interesting thoughts on that kind of some hidden things that I think help develop the world here. Um, but on the I guess the the main topic of Kaladin here. So in this first chapter or that we're looking at, chapter fourteen, it's right after he's decided that he's not going to uh, give up his life. He he's not gonna. He's taking this matter into his own hands. You know, we talked about how the old Kaladin died uh, back at the Honor Chasm and such. Um, but he comes back, and it's just all about hard work and discipline. He's leading this bridge now, and like you said, with servant leadership, he's working to to try to gain the respect of his his bridge crew. Um, and he definitely is having a hard time doing that. It's, it's a hard group to motivate. Um, uh, but what do y'all think? I guess about his his methods of doing this. He's very much uh, we have listed that it's kind of like a coach athlete mindset and such. And he's very much like trying to get down and dirty in training and not looking at the sp- the, the small amount of time that they have to rest as like oh good we get to rest, but as an opportunity to. Uh, to get stronger so so i i put this in the outline i'm i'm a coach and i've also been an athlete in the past so this when when kaladin picks up the plank in chapter 14 and walks back and forth with it and is expecting the same from his bridgemen or hoping the same of his bridgemen that they'll join him and try to better themselves it's, it's very much an athlete's mindset that you're working yourself, you're working your mind, you're working your body for the sake of getting better. But he needs to find a way to motivate the bridgemen because they've already given up. They don't see a reason to try to better themselves or try to work to stay alive because they, they don't see a reason why to. They've, they're already a bridgeman for what they assume to be for life. You can't ever get out. I'm going to die here, so might as well sit and mope for the rest of my life because there's actually no reason to work for it. But Kaladin has decided that he's going to work until he dies, basically, um, or until he finds a way out. And he wants the same for his bridgemen, but he can't figure out a way to do that yet. He needs to He needs to be able to motivate them to work with him and also, th- this kind of ties into another uh, another aspect here, is he's having trouble disciplining them. He can't discipline them for not listening to him because he can't do anything. Like, there's there's nothing he can do to, besides physically beat them up, which he, <laughs> he, he does do to Moash at the beginning of Chapter 14. But there's, there's nothing, he, he can't punish them in any way, he can't, Send them to the there's bridge no, crews. They're already in the bridge the crews. Bridge, right? There's no, the bridge floor is the worst, and they don't have any like physical possessions really to 
to confiscate it. He, yeah, I think that's actually kind of funny. Like, what do you do whenever there's nothing to be taken? Right. He has to. How do you threaten someone? So as opposed to a normal soldier where you would discipline them when they're disobedient, instead he has to find ways to motivate them for them to want to work with him instead of uh, the classic way of doing it. And and this is a, yeah, this is a classic leadership conundrum is if you're handed a team of people to lead, but not given any authority over them, how do you do that? And that tied into my, my word and my thoughts for this, this section of respect of Kaladin learns quickly that he can't, like we just said, punish them. He can't force them to do what they need to do. It's in their benefit for them to listen to them, but they've given up at this point. So he has to learn a different way. He has to figure out a different way to earn their respect. And that's mm-hmm. where he goes to the, okay, I'm just going to show them. I'm just going to do this. And eventually, he hopes they're going to fall in line. Right. The there's a, There's a quote in chapter 14 about authority, which I want to read. Is this the Gaz quote? I almost read this. It's... It's Kaladin talking to Syl with kind of Gaz there. I'll, I'll just read it. You don't have authority, Gaz called. You're not some squad leader on the field. You're a storming bridgeman. You hear me? You can't have authority without a rank. Kaladin left the alleyway behind. He's wrong. Syl walked around to hang in front of his face, hovering there while he moved. She cocked her head at him. Authority doesn't come from a rank, Kaladin said fingering the spheres in his pocket. Where does it come from? From the men who give it to you. That's the only way to get it. He needs to... He needs to have... Gotta the, earn it. Yes, he needs to have the bridgeman give him the the authority that he... he in, When he was in the army, he already had this authority. He didn't need to earn it. But he is literally starting from base zero with these bridgemen. Yeah, and so with the whole, I actually think servant leadership was an excellent word. That servant leadership, um, servant leadership, the one word. Yeah, it's a good one yeah. word. Single word, single one word, word explanation. Uh, because, because, like you said, he's working from ground zero. There's no one. Gaz, even if Gaz said like something to endorse Kaladin, I don't think it would make that big of a difference. It, it really has to come from those who are being led. Um. But yeah, and the only way he can really do that is by, yeah, earning it, just earning it through through work and support and such. And so, um, a lot of the Kaladin moments here are kind of him trying. Like later, we talked about the with the situation with the apothecary. He goes there because he's trying to get uh, supplies to help, you know, almost tend to his his bridgeman and such and kind of a I feel like he's almost going for the I scratch your back you scratch mine approach mm. in in a way um he's trying to help them and so in turn they will you know be willing to stick their neck out a little for him and and uh, work together there's between between the uh part 1 and this chapter 14 here Kaladin has certainly regained his pride. And I want to read uh, two quotes, uh, one on t- 
217 from chapter 14. Those stairs, stunned and hostile though they were, were part of what kept Kaladin going. He also ran to work out his frustrations, that boiling, churning pot of anger within him. That's him carrying the plank uh, back and forth in front of the bridgeman. And then in two sixty page 264 for me, which is chapter 17, they're on a they're on the bridge run. And he they just put their bridge down at the first chasm, the one that doesn't doesn't have the permanent bridges. And he think he's about to collapse with the rest of the bridgemen. And he think he says to himself, no, he thought steadying himself. No, I stand. It was a foolish gesture. The other bridgemen barely paid him any heed. One man, Moash, even swore at him. But now that Kaladin had made the decision, he stubbornly stuck to it, clasping his hands behind his back and falling into parade rest while watching the army cross. He's almost... He's almost too prideful, actually. He's... He's found this... He's found this spark of life within himself, and now he thinks he's... I think he thinks he's better than everyone else because he thinks this. That he's he's willing to fight for himself and nobody else is, and therefore he's willing to stand even though there's no real reason to. He's going to do it anyway because he just he's prideful. It's it reminds me um of you know, there's always that one one kid, right? If you I don't know, high school gym class or whatever camp something like that there's always like everyone's resting and there's always the one kid who's like come on guys let's let's go and Mm -hmm. i feel like Kaladin is that person in this these situations he's like there's no rest like let's just keep going guys like let's let's get stronger let's uh do all this stuff and I, i think it's kind of a funny depiction but but i can definitely see the um the pride in that too I feel, I feel like he he's better and he knows it you know he he kind of um not in, i i never really got a prideful like a sense of that in uh like while reading it myself but i can i can see that you know um he does almost feel like he's cut from a different cloth i guess as these other bridgemen um he's there for a different reason from different reasons and such so it's interesting. I think I, I think I definitely get the the pride as well, but I think I read it more as defiance than than pride. Sure. Of more of he's he's awakened this determination in him. He's going to do this no matter what, and he's kind of manifesting that as I'm going to defy against all of this, and maybe a little bit of defiance against the the other bridgemen of I'm going to stand up and and be better than you guys, which I think there's a bit of pride there too. But I think defiance was the biggest part 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 that i saw yeah absolutely i certainly thinking that's positive it's better than not caring at all yeah but yeah i do think there's a negative side to it it's good because that was one of my two words defiant <laughs> i guess i hit the nail on the head there um so one of my personal favorite parts uh, kind of moving along well actually staying on kaladin I wanted to talk about the apothecary a little bit. Okay. So I think it's funny that all these kind of shop owner type characters we've met, I'd say like the bookkeeper from the Shalon chapters, the the bookstore owner, as well as the apothecary, they always assume that the person coming in is like 
doesn't know what they're talking about, doesn't know what's going on. It's always, you know, are you looking for some like romance novel or do you want a love potion? Is that why you came to me? It's, <laughs> right. it's always like something like that. And uh, then whenever the person like shows that, I don't know, they're they're not shallow, like or you know, they're there for a legitimate reason. Um, they kind of like straighten up and oh, you know, yep. And I, I don't know if that was kind of to show that maybe they do deal with a ton of people who just come in and are like, like really surface value. They come in and they're like, oh, Mr. Apothecary, will you like make this person fall in love with me or something? Do they, I wonder if they like kind of a glimpse that maybe they deal with a lot of, um, like maybe they went to this kind of like profession and they almost seem like a little weary of, of maybe the the people they deal with i could be totally off on that but i mean maybe just a thought on i don't know maybe it's not a super super deep the people aren't uh, super deep in thought i don't know not well yeah well versed the the, the shopkeepers that we've met so far the the book shopkeeper back in the shalon chapter and now the apothecary are definitely not out to help anyone for sure they're definitely looking to make a buck where they can for sh definitely mm -hmm. yeah they don't have much honor just, nope just thought, I, just thought i'd throw that random word out it's not <laughs> that not the theme of the entire thing true so there's another part of that apothecary scene that i want to point out that i'm going to come back to later when he goes to try and pay that apothecary he pulls out his spheres right his spheres that gaz game gave him earlier we saw the scene where gaz gave them to him and they were glowing with stormlight but he pulls them out of his pocket to hand to the apothecary and they're not glowing anymore which i definitely noted as as suspicious that that seems odd to me i'm going to come back to that in a second because there's another example of that again but i noted that in this scene And the apothecary was kind enough to to take the spheres, but it was kind of like a come on, like dumb yeah. spheres, like well, give me a break, you know. There's also a, a there's also a phrase that he uses, which I think is is very clever. He he's he accuses Kaladin of quote passing Dun spheres off on me, which <laughs> it like Dun spheres are just as uh just as worth as uh infused spheres but this the phrase done spheres means counterfeit he's he's accusing him of passing counterfeit money off on him and he calls them done spheres because counterfeit money wouldn't be infused because it wouldn't be a real gemstone so right. that, that's a, i think that's a cool phrase that brandon sanderson just threw in there as a as that this is what a kind of thing that people say in this world of they you're trying to pass Dunn spheres off on me as, as opposed to you're trying to scam me. I think it's a thing that's cool. It's true. So aside from the Caledon chapters, my personal favorite part of, of this episode is kind of talking about the, the chapters with, with Dalinar and, and Sadius. Okay. Um, I thought it was really interesting, and it was part of why I put uh, scheming because we see a lot of, a lot of dialogue between like the the whole bunch, right? Mm -hmm. Dalinar, Sadius, 
like Adolin, I believe, and Renarin, uh, Delinar's sons. And long story short, it seems like none of them trust Sadius, but we also get a glimpse of why Delinar does trust Sadius um, in any right. Um, and, and I said scheming largely for Sadius. He seems very... Uh, I almost got like a maniacal vibe. He 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 seems just up to no good, and um, it always makes me afraid that he's gonna like backstab someone. Um, okay, it, this was another reason why I picked respect as one of my words actually, because the relationship between Dalinar and Sadius is definitely a fascinating one. And I don't remember if the text actually said this or if you just get this from from the whole scene in general, but Dalinar respects Sadius, but he doesn't like him. He's not his friend, but he will work with him as a colleague in order to protect the king. And so he schemes with him, but he he doesn't trust him. And I definitely don't trust him either. Right. It's it's the whole means to an end type of thing. They They have this dialogue in this chapter of... The, the Alethi would always tell you the ends justify the means. No matter how how you get that gem heart, it was worth the bridgemen lives to get there. And everybody's applauding Sadius for this these new bridges that he's using. And Dalinar is saying, but what about these human lives that you're using? That is that is not okay. And he can't he refuses to look past that, um, to look at the gemstones that he's that he's winning. And Sadius has won three in the last two weeks, and Dalinar's won zero. Um, and it's, we'll we'll learn later that it's even to the point that Dalinar isn't even going on these bridge runs anymore. He doesn't even care. Definitely yeah. two different approaches to to the war, and definitely founded in their. Well, I think it I think it shows what their their motives are. Dalinar's trying to adhere to. The Alethi war codes and these these ancient code of honor, if you will, which is kind of showing him that this whole war is a little bit of a of a farce, and so he's trying to actually protect the king. Whereas Sadius is all out for wealth and reputation, and he just wants to beat the next battle in front of him, which very different from Dalinar. Speaking of these Alethi war codes. We learn what the way of kings is in this in this uh, section, and Dalinar and Adolin have this little conversation of um, Gavilar's dying words and how he referenced the way of kings. And Adolin is very surprised to hear that Gavilar wrote, as Dalinar and Sadius and everyone who knows about them assume that they. That, Gal that Gavilar wrote. We as the reader know that he didn't write them. Zeth is actually the one who wrote them. However, everybody thinks that Gavilar wrote them, which is a big deal because men don't write in foreign culture. You have to be an ardent or a woman to write in foreign culture. Which which I originally took when we first learned that is kind of a... they They mostly don't write. But the reaction I'm getting off of this is much more of a strong, oh my gosh, he could write. They're all shocked yep. as no men don't write at all. It's it's very much a sacrilegious, they do not read or write at all. They can read glyphs, which are like kind of picture mm. paintings. 
Yeah. And but they don't read text or write text ever. So I was super excited to learn what the Way of Kings is, the title of the book, and we finally understand that it's it's an actual book in this universe that we're reading about. And I had a very meta in in air quotes moment because I realized that we're standing here reading Way of Kings and talking about it, and Dalinar and Adolin are standing there reading and talking about Way of Kings. And even more than that, like Paul, you're listening to the audiobook. Well, so is Dalinar. Dalinar can't read, so he's having it read to him. He yep. mentions like listening to the Way of Kings, and I'm sitting here like, wait, that's what we're doing. We're reading and we're listening to the Way of Kings. It was a very, I don't know, odd yeah. meta experience there. We're watching some, but I did think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I did think that the quote that they mentioned at the end of chapter 15 where Dalinar kind of quotes in his mind from the Way of Kings was really good and really encapsulated my thoughts on servant leadership and respect. So I'll go ahead and, and I'll read that. It's a little lengthy, but it's good. So, so bear with me for a second. I once saw a spindly man carrying a stone larger than his head upon his back. The, he stumbled beneath the weight, shirtless under the sun, wearing only a loincloth. He tottered down a busy thoroughfare. People made way for him, but not because they sympathized with him, but because they feared the momentum of his steps. You dare not impede one such as this. The monarch is like this man, stumbling along the weight of a kingdom on his shoulders. Many give way before him, but so few are willing to step in and help carry the stone. They do not wish to attach themselves to the work, lest they contend themselves to a life full of extra burdens. I left my carriage that day and took up the stone, lifting it for the man. I believe my guards were embarrassed. One can ignore a poor shirtless wretch doing such labor, but none ignore a king sharing the load. Perhaps we should switch places more often. If a king is seen to assume the burden of the poorest of men, perhaps there will be those who will help him with his own load, so invisible, yet so daunting. I thought that was super deep about the weight of leadership and the act of stepping in and helping someone and what that says about leadership was big not only for the Dalinar story but also relates directly to the Kaladin story I think with where he's at this was I think the the most notable quote out of out of what we've we've looked at so far because uh, it also gives a lot of perspective right on how there's so many people willing or at least potentially desiring to help a king when it comes to like the like a low lowly worksman, um, how big of a difference that is, and I think that was a, like a really good lesson. And was that like an actual like supposedly like a quote from the Way of Kings? Correct. That Dalinar's reading, which I also think is cool, and so it kind of shows some more perspective on um, how Dalinar thinks almost, and and what he uh, kind of his. His mindset what he's aspiring to yes what he's yeah his character i do the right after that quote dalinar is very surprised to realize that he can quote it word for word in his head which i thought was, yep. was very interesting 
must have heard it read several times to have it memorized. I think it's eight when Adolin asks, "Oh, you've been re- listening to that book again?" He's like, "Maybe, perhaps." <laughs> and well... he's and he's listened to it more than he uh, more than he admits to to Adolin. He's very very into this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of a isn't it somewhat blown off as oh that old that old book yep um by everyone else like oh you're listening to that book again yeah uh, all right all right <laughs> i one more thought on this this way of king's book i noticed that dalinar at least once or twice now has mentioned yasna and i'm starting to wonder if we're learning a bit about maybe why yasna was in carbranth doing the research that she was because Dalinar is looking for the answer to the clue or the quote that Gavilar gave him. Maybe Yasna's looking for that or doing research on that. I don't know. That was a, a thought I had in this that maybe would tie in that other story to this one a little bit. It's a good, it's a good thought, but I want to remind you of this, that Yasna is a professed heretic and does not ad- adhere to the Voran culture. And uh, the Voran culture is very not okay with the way of kings. They do not, they do not agree with a lot of things in the way of kings. So the mm. fact that Dalinar is interested in the way of kings and Yasna is a professed heretic, we don't know why yet or about what specifically. We just know she's not a part of the Voran church. It's something to think about yes interesting i didn't think about that i have to reconsider my theory i would like to highlight this uh chapter 16 this kaladin flashback chapter and it references kaladin's depression multiple times in this in this chapter it explains it in multiple different ways and it's from Kaladin's perspective and he's trying to reconcile it to himself he doesn't know why he's quote spontaneously melancholy and reading between the lines I feel like I feel like he's had conversations with his father about this and his and his father doesn't understand his father's a very science guy he's a surgeon and he's going to explain all the science of adolescence and growing up and getting feelings for girls and all that type of thing. But he's not going to explain how or why it happens. Um, and so when he feels his depression uh, sweep over him and he's it's a black eel coiled inside of him as the book says or a strange blanket of melancholy smothers him unexpectedly he's trying to he's trying to figure out why this is happening and his his father hasn't given him any clues i don't think he he'll be he just doesn't understand the the depression part of it he understands the the feelings for laurel that he's getting but he doesn't understand the melancholy i think this is a pretty a pretty realistic like depiction right it's like the like he he Liren is is 
uh, Kaladin's father, and he knows that growing up, Kaladin's just going to face a lot of emotional days, bad days, good days, and such. And so uh, he takes a very like realistic approach to everything, and he talks. It kind of mentions that a lot. Uh, he's kind of a I don't know, realistic, take a step back and look at look at the picture thing. We've seen that with uh, even his like philosophy on there are those who save lives rather than take lives. Uh, it's not a standard approach, I guess, in this world. Um, but it's a pretty like holistic approach. Um, and I feel like that's kind of how it is with his relationship with Kaladin in that he knows that there's going to be these problems. Um, so he kind of addresses it, but I guess he doesn't take it too seriously. He, it's almost, almost takes everything with a grain of salt. Makes sense. Um, as an, as an engineer myself, I definitely relate to Lear in a bit with the very black and white and very scientific approach to everything. And like you said, Trevor, he's going to explain the facts to, to Kaladin, but not necessarily, the how to deal with it and yeah paul i think you're touching on the fact that kaladin feels a little bit lost there i think maybe with he's not quite getting the the guidance maybe that he wants or needs but i think that leaves me asking an interesting question here where is kaladin's mother have we heard a reference of her yet i don't recall that we have we have heard we've heard one reference we don't know her name yet we have heard one reference to his mother and quote, she put great stock in glyph wards. Unquote. Mm, that is yeah. the only reference we've had, which was a couple chapters ago. And Liren chided her for clinging on to superstition. That is that is all we've heard of uh, Kaladin's mother so far. Interesting. I did not actually remember that, but that's an excellent point. Um... So I want to go back to the the depression real quick because I I do think this is is turning into a fascinating aspect of of Kaladin's character and as we mentioned a second ago a very relatable a very real aspect to to a fictional character and I've had a lot of discussions with some of my friends who who struggle with this depression and trying to figure out how to understand how depression works and how to help someone who's who's going through that that moment and I really appreciated the description of depression as the black eel coiled inside i mean kaladin it his depression is it's a creature that lives in his mind that he knows is there and he doesn't know when it's going to strike or when it's going to going to come but it's always just kind of in the back of his mind sitting there waiting for it and that was a really powerful depiction of depression for me and helped me understand that really well and i like that in both examples that we've now seen of kaladin dealing with with depression both with him at the, the edge of the precipice, the the honor chasm, and then in a much, not quite as serious note here that we get in chapter 16, where he's just kind of walking through the rocks and, and feeling this depression. It, it's just a simple act of kindness that, that snaps him, him out of it. It's the it's Syl bringing him that leaf that she can barely carry. And it's it's Tien, his brother, just handing him a rock that is not important at all. It's just a useless little rock, but just that act of kindness is enough to lift Kaladin out of that. And that's a that's a cool little lesson for me to learn right there about how to how to help someone with depression, which I thought was really cool. I'll bet Kaladin would have listened to NF. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it came to mind and I couldn't resist not mentioning it. I'll bet I'll bet he would have listened to NF. Yeah, he seems like the type. Yep. Kaladin's just got a an NF album in his in his bag. Yep. It, it does yep. show that it's not so much of what he's given or what he has, but that there's someone there for him. There's someone there supporting yeah, yeah. Him that wants him to do well or at least you know just cares of them. Or cares for him. You know, mm -hmm. like we said the, the leaf was still obviously it was a poisonous leaf and uh, it is really ironic. Um, but just you know, she she cared enough um, to do to do something in an attempt to help him. And with with Tien, he's showing him this like cool rock, you know. And it's just kind of these like simple interactions that that show Kaladin that you know maybe things aren't as bad as he thought and stuff. I think it's a really uh, really awesome, really yeah. Good moments. I totally agree. At the end of this chapter sixteen, uh, this is a this is a plot, a plot device or a plot point that I need would like to highlight. Bright Lord Wistio, who is Laurel's father, mm -hmm. dies at the end of the chapter and leaves Kaladin specifically a huge goblet of spheres in order for him to go to Carbronth to learn to be a surgeon, and. Uh, he's very he's very torn at this he's he's obviously honored but he now has he, he has this opportunity to, to go to carbronth which part of him wants but he also still hasn't decided whether he wants to be a soldier yet or not and now his his choice is ripped from him and he doesn't know how to feel about it at the end of the chapter true it's during the, these this time where he's like i'm gonna go be a soldier and earn points of valor and and all this cool stuff and he's gonna become a shard bearer and you know kind of these um these these hopes and and dreams almost and then there's the his dad saying he should be a surgeon and such and even didn't even say that laurel like wanted him to go wanted him to go be a soldier so yeah there's a lot of a lot of external forces and internal forces trying he can't decide and such so it's it's interesting though the chapter ends with that moment where kaladin's kind of like oh man my choice just got made for me i guess i have to go become a surgeon but as far as we know from the the present time kaladin that didn't actually happen so now I'm really curious what happens between where we're at in flashback Kaladin and where we're at in current Kaladin that causes him not to go and become a surgeon. Because as far as far as I can tell, that, that didn't actually happen. So now I'm really curious. I need answers. That's true. I kind of just assumed he went and didn't think enough about it, I guess. But yeah. I mean, I guess we don't know for sure that he didn't go, but just from what I think we've seen in the the present day chapters, I'm I'm inferring, I'm guessing that he didn't go, but I don't know. I really want He had his time as like serving in the army, right? Serving in the military. Yeah. So, so we know he did become a soldier, and he was pretty good at it. Right. Now, so if this if this helps you at all, 
they weren't going to let Kaladin go to Carbronth until he was 16 or until his 16th weeping, which weepings mm-hmm. are once a year. Um, and at the time, at the current time, he's 19 and he's spent four years in the army so far. All How of old is he in the flashback chapter? Interesting. Like 12 or something? I believe, yeah, I believe he's 13, 14. Um, okay. but yeah, all of that is, all of that is known information. I'm hundred percent sure. So you can, you can piece that together for your hypothesis of if he went to Carbronth or not. <laughs> so on the topic of Kaladin, I want to circle back to something I mentioned earlier. Twice in this chapter, twice in the, this section of chapters, First in the the apothecary's shop, and then again in the middle of the battlefield, Kaladin pulls out his spheres, and they're no longer charged. And as I I read this in chapter, when I got to the second time that happened in chapter 17, the first time it happened, I kind of wrote that off as, well, that was odd. What what was up with that? But then when it happened again in chapter 17, they really got the the wheels He's giving his last sphere to Gaz. Yep. Yes, yes, exactly. He's he's trying to bribe Gaz with that last sphere to let him bring the wounded home. And but he pulls it out and it's not charged and he's he's confused why it's not charged. He's like, Gaz, you just gave me this. It was it was charged. It's your fault. Um but we as the readers know that he was given a charged sphere and it somehow became uncharged. And I thought back all the way to the prologue with Zeth. And Zeth, in the prologue, uses Stormlight to imbue himself with this power. And then, I th- again, I think even in the interlude chapter we had Zeth, he makes a comment about as, he, as they're about to get mugged, or as he's in the process of getting mugged or his, his master there, he, he, he thinks to himself, oh, there's Stormlight in his spheres that I, that I could use. I wonder if Kaladin has just accidentally used the stormlight in these spheres to help him perform the incredibly arduous task that he's doing i don't have any more evidence for this but now i I really want this to be the case that kaladin has somehow accidentally used this power that so far only zeth has used i'm smiling i'm smiling at paul's reaction paul's reaction to this (laughs) is that's something i had not thought of paul's paul's light bulb as like as you were explaining (laughs) just like what it did. I'm not gonna lie, that because because I just blew it off as okay. That's about you know a charge sphere lasts <laughs> about a day or two. I, I mean <laughs> that that was the last thing. I was like, okay, Gaz just did a lame job, you know. Yeah, yeah. Charging these spheres, but that's a really interesting thing. And they always there's kind of this uh, allusion towards. Um, Kaladin has this great luck and such. And yeah, so yeah. He's, you know, maybe there's more going on behind the scenes. I was just like, oh, he's the protagonist. Protagonists don't die, you know? Yeah, right. I really like that, Elliot. Thank you so much. That Good work, Elliot. I'm going to be disappointed, though. I'm going to be disappointed, though, if, if it's not. It's just that the, the spheres just power down yeah. on their own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I would be kind of disappointed, too, now, now, that, now that you've pointed that out but now i'm going to be looking for this as we read that is i will too oh wow there's a there's a there's a scene well 
the majority, the, the entire scene of chapter 17, when, when Kaladin is saving lives, he's, they, they've set their bridge, they're all hiding under this rock, him and Rock and the rest of them. And he's, he's so tired because earlier in the day, he worked himself ragged carrying this plank. And then right as they got to uh, chasm duty, there was a chasm, there was a call and they ran for the chasm. And it was a bad, it was a bad run. He was at the front. He takes, he takes Rock's place. And after they set their bridge, he runs back and forth, grabbing the wounded. I don't have anything really to say at this besides this is an awesome scene. I love, <laughs> I love Brandon Sanderson, Brandon Sanderson's writing, and this scene is highlights it so well. Kaladin is such a good hero to root for because he's he's so beaten down this day specifically, even though the day previous, like the night before, he had just decided to actually live his the rest of his life and not give up and the next day he is he's met with all of these uh all of these challenges and he he meets it with his father's words in his mind of save uh some men take lives some men save lives and he runs back and forth um i i just i love that scene it's so good epic you're, you're very good at, at cutting these segments with with epic chapters at the end that's true i there there are it's kind of worked out we we stretched one episode uh for five chapters but i have deliberately cut these um in these chunks because there are nice nice arcs in here good moments to start on and end on i want to indeed i want to leave this with a quote um at the end of chapter 17 i want to get you guys uh get your hypotheses crazy hypotheses about this i want to compare a quote at the end of chapter seven well kind of the middle towards the end of chapter 17 and compare it to an earlier quote this is when kaladin has just run and grabbed gaddle from the battlefield and it says, Gaddle spit up blood, coughing. They break the land itself, he hissed, eyes wild. They want it, but in their rage they will destroy it. Like the jealous man burns his rich things rather than let them be taken by his enemies. They come. He gasped, and then he fell still. Think about that for a second as I flip to... At the beginning of chapter seven, this is an this is the intro piece before the actual chapter, and it says, "They are a flame, they burn, they bring the darkness when they come, and so all and so all you can see is that their skin is a flame, burn, 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 collected on Palashev, or Palashev, eleven seventy two, twenty one seconds pre death, the subject." was a baker's apprentice. Without me saying anything, do you guys have any predictions on what's happening? Uh, 
I will I will admit I did not I did not think too much about that quote before until just now I kind of passed over it as the the ravings of a of a dying man but but now that you tie those together that is that is interesting I I'm thinking if it somehow has something to do with the the void bringers we've been we've been told in the past that the void bringers are these huge beasts that, that destroy the earth I don't remember if they, they were talked about in reference to fire though and both the quotes that you that you mentioned talk about burning and fire so I don't know I'm I'm kind of mystified I was really hoping that Elliot would have the answer so <laughs> I'm not I, I don't have any profound guesses I'm not expecting you guys to have answers here I am just full I'm just wondering what you guys think of this I think along with many things that we've talked about so far that this will probably be answered later on. That's, that's a my... val valid assumption. <laughs> it's it's definitely ominous for sure. Mm -hmm. And it it makes me I'm not sure if these are references to the past or references to the future or the present somewhere else in, in Roshar, but it's definitely ominous. It's Something big is either out there or was or is coming. It's got to be a reference to something like all-encompassing. My first thought is maybe it's like a reference to death itself or, um, or mankind itself or something like that. That's, that's my thought is it's just something that's overarching and would affect everyone. Uh, but I don't. I can't get any more specific. Okay. I will. I will leave you guys to dwell on those. Any <laughs> any closing? I'm not going to tell you. Are any closing thoughts for this uh, for this episode? I want more silk conversations in the future because they're always my favorite. Silk conversations are good. I, I want more Kaladin. The more the more we see of Kaladin, the more I want to know where he's going. Is he going to be successful? Is he going to be able to get out of the situation that he's in? I I do think the Kaladin storyline is the most gripping so far. Well, lucky you. He's the main character. <laughs> so that's convenient. I, I got to read more. Indeed. Well, we will convene reconvene next week. Thank you for joining me, Paul and Paul and Elliot. Adios. See ya.